0: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.
1: Hello, I'm Tiffany McTaggart.
2: And I'm George Gauley.
1: Welcome along to the Animal Health and Welfare series of podcasts, which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service.
2: During 2021, we'll be bringing you eight podcasts.
1: We want to provide you an insight into latest strategies which are being both developed and implemented with the ultimate aim of improving the welfare of our livestock.
2: Over the course of the next year, we'll be disseminating topics such as precision livestock farming, genetics, behavior, disease, and resistance, and how these challenges can be overcome to allow us to meet the challenges of the future.
1: Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Spiridula Athanasiadu, a research scientist with SRUC. Spiridula has been working on alternatives to anthelmintics, which is becoming increasingly important due to the increasing levels of resistance. Welcome, Spiridula. Hi, Tiffany. Very good to be here. Hi. Would you like to just start by telling us a little bit more about the resistance to anthelmintics? Yeah,
0: so anthelmintic resistance is a problem around the world. Uh, Maybe it was first reported, I think, for small ruminants. Uh, but uh, not long after that, it was also reported for cattle. And it's a big problem around the world, as I said. Um, n- not many uh, drugs are still active, uh, and people need to be using combinations of drugs to be able to um, to treat worms in their livestock, basically. Uh, it's a little bit less of a problem in monogastrics, and I think if this is possibly because of the way they're being um, uh, managed, which is mostly... Uh, indoors uh, still a problem for outdoors animals so pigs and, and poultry but a huge issue for ruminants yeah
1: okay so you've been looking at how plants can be used um, to reduce the burdens and reduce parasite resistance
0: it, it is alternatives and th- the reason we're using alternatives is to eventually reduce the use of which would result in a reduction of resistance so uh, we just need to protect the use of Alphametics, that's all. And plants can do that. So yeah, I've been working for the last um, 20 odd years on uh, alternatives uh, and started with uh, plant extracts that are rich in certain types of compounds uh, which are called condensed tannins. And these compounds uh, we have identified in uh, a large variety of different extracts uh, and they're able to a variable degree, if you want, to, uh, to treat worms. Uh, so we've also, we've given them um, as extracts to the animals, or we've made animals uh, graze those. Um, and uh, it, it, the, no, the, the plants are really useful to uh, to reduce the um, uh, parasite burden. Not to the same they don't do it to the same level as anti drugs do, uh, but they reduce it to a level that is uh, economically uh, good for the farmer. So lower worm burdens result in lower losses from parasitism, reduced use of anthomintics uh, and as a consequence better managing of worms with, without too much use of anthelmintics, which results in reduction in resistance in the long term.
1: Okay, so what kind of plants have you been grazing livestock on? So we've done.
0: We've tried many different things. Uh, so in the past, we've had livestock grazing on chicory, for example. Chicory is um, is a forest that's, that's rich in plant secondary metabolites, not in the type I mentioned before, not tannins, but other type of compounds. Uh, and they are. Um, we have shown repeatedly on uh, experimental conditions that animals that are grazed on chicory have lower uh, worm burden and lower fecal egg counts. Uh, we've also have a large number of farmers that have used it on on farm on their farm, uh, and they and the good thing with chicory is that it doesn't only reduce parasites, but it also improves the performance. So farmers are using it for to finish lambs on. Uh, it gives really good growth rates compared to conventional uh, grass clover pastures. It's really good. It's also able to. Uh, it's quite rich in certain uh, trace elements and minerals uh, and it, it can take this up from the soil easier than other pastures. Uh, so, But it, it's uh, the chicory plant that is, um, actually this plant is interesting because it does really well in when it's, uh, there hasn't been a lot of rain. So there are certain parts of Scotland that are not doing very well in growing chicory just because the ground is too wet. Um, and uh, we have this feedback by certain farmers that it's uh, it's not great for their area. However, for other parts of the country, it uh, works really well. Uh, so it's one of these um, plants that uh, it, it gets mixed reviews. But this is one of the things about the alternatives, that not everything will, will work well for everybody. And if we have a, a kind of a basket of options, of so different alternatives that people can implement, uh, that suit their own conditions, their own, you know, personal circumstances. Uh, that's ideal, I think, so that people can um, select what's good for them and uh, leave behind the rest. So, 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 chicory does not work for everybody, uh, not for all areas in Scotland, but it does work for some. And for those that works, it works really well. Uh, we've also. Recently, we've been working with Heather, so Heather, you know, Heather, the, 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 the plant, the, you know, on, up the hills, the uh, shrub is the right word. Uh, so there is um, the uphill animals uh, like sheep and goats would uh, browse on, on Heather. And we just finished an experiment where we had uh, Heather cut from the Pentlands and offered to sheep. Uh, and they would eat uh, substantial amounts of heather, and uh, animals would have lower uh, parasite burden. So um, heather is really rich in plant secondary metabolites, uh, the, the type I've mentioned before, the condensed tannins. Uh, and we don't really know; we haven't been able yet to quantify the relationship. So how how high they have to be in these compounds in order to be able to reduce parasites? Uh, But this is something we're working on.
1: That sounds very interesting. And Both of those farmers can use anyway. Um, Correct, yeah.
0: And we have included, sorry to interrupt you, we have some farmers that uh, are the Scottish Highlands that at the minute have uh, have been working on heather. They have heather on their farm, so they have been doing little um, on-farm demonstrations for us. Uh, so from that experience, we're learning uh, positive and negatives by using heather for uh, sheep um, um, for, for control of parasites in sheep. So uh, I'm not saying everything is uh, rosy, but uh, there is certainly a lot of potential there. And uh, basically, it, for to me, it's a one-way uh, road to, to try and reduce the use of anthelmintics um, to preserve their uh, efficacy, basically
1: yeah so what are some of the positives and negatives you've been finding so um
0: as i mentioned the positives are they reduce parasites and and they um uh, both in terms of uh well mostly in terms of fecal egg counts i can't say yet for the ones we haven't finished analyzing those uh but the the issue is obviously heather has uh, it's not very nutritious uh so it would uh, kind of stalls the performance of the animals so the animals are not growing when they're eating a lot, okay. So in our experimental conditions, we gave them plenty, uh, and um, they weren't growing as well as uh, the control animals. So they were growing a little bit less. Um, however, I mean, this is this is um th- we see that as a solution for farmers that are uphill, for example, that they have access to heather and maybe they thought oh, that's not a good thing for the animals to eat. We'll take them away or whatever. So the suggestion would be. Uh, do not necessarily take them away, let them experience it, and maybe that will help their health. Um, and hopefully it it will be at a level that will not penalise their performance. We haven't got the, the balance right yet, but uh, we are wor- working on that. To see how much they can eat to reduce their parasites and on the same time not penalise their performance. So we will be working on that in the future.
1: That that's does sound very interesting. You also mentioned that you've been... Feeding them plant extracts. What kind mm-hmm. of plant extracts and how are you feeding them? So we
0: have tried that in different ways. Uh, we have um, incorporated uh, crude plant extracts in their diets. So many years ago, actually it was during my PhD, uh, that I fed sheep uh, Cabracha extract. Now Cabracha extract is um, um, is an extract from a tree that is very rich in these compounds. Uh, and what I did, I incorporated in the diet of the animal. So I pelleted it uh, and offered it as pellets and in another experiment as meal in uh, in sheep. And they were allowed to eat on that ad lib, So they would eat as much as they wanted. Uh, and uh, this is one way of uh, doing it. So incorporating the diet. And the other way of doing it is giving it as a drench, the same way as you would give an anthomitic. Uh, so you will just make... Um, a kind of a soup with a plant extract and uh offer it to the animal as i said the same way as you would with an automatic drug
1: yeah that sounds very interesting is there any other plants um, that you have been researching um for farmers choose? so <clears throat>
0: um we haven't been re- doing any more research in in any other plants but we have been looking at plant extracts from um woody plants like I mentioned already that Cabraccio, which is um, extract from a bark of trees. So we're looking at other uh, bark extracts, uh, but this is quite early days. So I'm not able to say an awful lot about that, uh, but we're looking at, at other options um, again, to see to basically to increase the range of options we have and um, to see which ones are more promising and under which conditions and stuff like that. In one of our recent uh, projects, which is a large European project, we've also looked at um, nematophagus fungi. Have you? I don't know if you've ever heard about that. This is I've a, not heard about it. You could tell us more, though. Yeah. So, so this is um, this is a natural fungus, uh, which is you can find that in the environment. And um, what it does, it can it creates effectively a network around. It traps, I would say. Uh, Larvae, uh, parasitic larvae, specific larvae uh, of um, uh, gastrointestinal nematodes, actually, uh, and it would kill the larvae at that stage. So uh, when they're still in the fecal uh, pellet, effectively. So after, immediately after they have um, uh, hatched from the egg, uh, they can trap larvae, and they reduce the amount of larvae on pasture. So, so the number of larvae available for the animals to pick up while grazing is lower. Uh, and then the contamination uh, is lower and then the infection uh, of the animals is lower. So um, So we, we have been lo- in this big uh, project, we have been looking at heather, which is what happens inside the animal and also at this fungus, which is what happens outside the animals, to see to see if we can there are different ways of um, uh, reducing the, the parasite burden for, for the animal.
1: That's very interesting. It's good to hear that you're working on different Mm -hmm. ideas and there's lots of research still going on about it.
0: Yes, there is certainly a lot of uh, interest from the farmers as well. We organized uh, uh, online webinars and uh, focus groups and stuff, and farmers are always very interested in uh, alternatives to parasite control because it's still a big problem
1: and uh, alternative don't work as well. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I believe you've also been looking at improving immune responses using protein supplements. Can you tell Um, us a bit more about that?
0: Yes. So this is uh, um, in collaboration with Jos, Jos Uh, It's He's really a baby, if you want. I'm only involved in that in a a supporting role. But uh, he has been working for many years on uh, uh, optimizing protein supplementation in livestock. Uh, and, um, he, uh, he has done a lot of work. I'm, I'm sure people have heard about, uh, him around particularly supplementing animals around parturition. So at times when protein demand is really high, uh, which is parturition and lactation, of course, uh, I have been working on that, um, looking into the mechanisms on, on how this is actually happening. And for that, I have been using uh, rodent models. So, um, we have a, a rat model, uh, a rat periporturian model, where we're looking at uh, uh, mechanisms on how protein supplementation is uh, affecting immunity to, uh,
1: to parasites. That, that sounds very interesting. Have you, have you got any findings yet or...? Not. So what we, what I can say is uh, we
2: uh,
0: we have published a couple of papers and thoughts on that. Sorry, and we have found that when you supplement with extra protein, you're improving um, immune response in different ways. So you're improving intest- local intestinal immunity. Uh, so the kind of um, you know how the intestine is uh, covered with a mucus, which is mucus is very rich in proteins So uh, and this is because there are certain types of cells that are present that are able to, to kill the worms, if you want. So when you feel feed high protein, uh, these cells are higher uh, in numbers. And also uh, it increases um, antibody production, extra protein, and also increases um, the the movement of the gut. And there is a theory that says that when the the rate of uh, uh, movement of the gut is increased and then the, the rate of expulsion of worms is higher as well. So um, when the gut moves faster, it also moves towards uh, getting rid of the worms. Uh, that's one one uh, mechanism that has been hypothesized that uh, uh, protein supplementation is improving.
1: That sounds very interesting. It'll be good to hear from you when you've got your all your results done and done more research on it.
0: Yeah, sure. I quite like working with models, and the reason I like working with models is because everything is easier, you know, it's more, smaller scale, uh, easier to deal with, they have a, a life lifetime that is much shorter, so you can measure so many things, so one of the other projects I'm currently working on is on uh, coinfections. Obviously, in real life, um, animals are unlikely they will be um, infected by a single pathogen in there at the same, you know, at, at any time. Uh, and what is of interest to me is to see what happens when they're challenged by multiple pathogens. So I've got one project that's looking at co-infection between a parasitic and a viral pathogen, uh, and this is in uh, um, mice again. So some very interesting things are coming out of that because um, you you would expect, I guess, that when you have multiple pathogens that the, the hit on the host is harder uh, and the animals would suffer more from the two pathogens that they suffer from the single. And yet again, this is not the case. So when animals are actually infected by two pathogens, one uh, parasitic pathogen and one viral in the case we're looking at, uh, the animals that are subjected to co-infection are actually coping better with infection compared to the animals that are uh, challenged with a single pathogen. So that was a big surprise for us. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, um, it's, an, it's, it's an outcome that has been already reproduced. So it's a real effect. It's not just a fluke. Uh, so now we're going to be looking at uh, how this is mediated uh, and... Um, uh, you know how is it relevant and and what can we do about it to uh to use it uh as a as a means to basically improve the health of the animals
1: that's, that sounds very
0: interesting <laughs> yes. it is actually very interesting and i am really curious to see where that's going to take us
1: yeah yeah it sounds very exciting and yeah it, it's nice to hear that so much research is going on about the health and the welfare of the animals and this research can then go and help improve their welfare. In that, the that is,
0: yes, that is absolutely true. As I did say, we're for some of these projects, we're starting at a very basic level. So where the questions are uh, first investigated in rodent animals. But but the aim is, of course, livestock. So once we, we have a better grasp on why this is happening and how it's happening, then our next move is going to be to uh, to try similar things in livestock and see how sheep respond to mixed infections, for example.
1: Yeah, that, that that sounds fascinating. It really does. Great. Thank you very much, Spirit Doula. That has been very informative and very fascinating.
0: I'm glad you found it interesting. I hope your audience does as well. And I would be very happy to update you on all the work we're doing in, the, in at some time in the future.
1: Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you to all the researchers who are taking their time to participate in this eight part series providing an interesting insight into their research and findings thank you for taking the time to listen we hope you have enjoyed it
2: you can find out about all the other podcasts in the series on the farm advisory service website or from your usual podcast provider along with many other podcasts available on a whole range of topics you can find out more about the farm advisory service and the work we are doing by visiting our website on www.fas.scot or if you need advice please call the helpline on 0300 3230161. 30